Amen. Well, about a year ago, I decided that I needed to get in better shape. Now, I wasn't in terrible shape, but I'm in my late 30s now, and my body's starting to creak a little bit more than it used to. It's, it's getting a little bit harder when I get out of bed in the morning to put on my socks. You know, it's just, I'm just kind of getting at that age. And, and for me, I've got four kids, and I've been working a couple of different jobs, and, and the one thing that goes pretty quickly is exercise. And, and I decided last summer, I, I'm not going to let that happen. I want to I wanna stay disciplined. I want to exercise. And, and so for me, I knew that meant I need a goal. I need something out in front of me. I'm not the kind of guy who just would naturally roll out of bed and think, hey, I need to go for a long jog this morning. I need something motivating me to, to do that. And, and so I decided that I needed to, to sign up for a race. Now, I had been running kind of five and six miles here and there, so doing a 10K wasn't a, a big stretch. So I wanted to do something that was going to stretch me a little bit more. So I had two options in front of me, run a marathon or run a half marathon. And so I, th- I sat down and, and I thought to myself, you know, if I set out to run a marathon and then you get halfway through and you quit, it's a failure. But if you set out to run a half marathon and run the same distance, it's a success. So that's what I decided to do. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest either. That seemed to make a lot of sense to me. So, so I set out to run a half marathon. Now, the next thing I needed to do was to kind of pick the one that I was going to run. And so I got online. There's a website, halfmarathons.com, and it, it tells you where all the marathons are in the United States. So I looked at the Twin Cities. Where were the marathons that I could run? And there was a weekend in particular that I needed to run it on based on my schedule. And, and so there was one in a, in a town called Belle Plaine, Minnesota, about an hour south of the Twin Cities. Fit my schedule. Great got signed up. I wanted to know a little bit about the course that I was going to run, so I went onto their website, and it was called the, uh, the Scenic Byway Half Marathon, and it, it described it like this. It's a beautiful run along the Minnesota River Valley. It's in October, so the beautiful colors of fall are out, and then it said that it is a flat course mixed with gentle rolling hills, <laughs> right? Yes, we all know where this is going. So I, 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 I take it at its word, right? Flat course mixed with gentle rolling hills. I can do that. Gentle is good. Rolling, that's great. I can do that. So I, I signed up. I, race day, I went down. I showed up. I pulled into town, got limbered up, got, you know, all stretched out. Started the race. The first mile was a, a, around kind of the town. So that was fine. No big deal. The second mile, still pretty flat. The third mile was this gradual long descent down into the river valley, right? So I'm running along this thing. I've got one of these watches that paces you. So I'm, I'm checking my pace. Man, my, I'm, I'm doing great. My pace is phenomenal. I'm way ahead of where I thought I would be. I'm thinking, this is great. I, I, is there still time to make the London Olympics? I think I could still pull this off. I'm doing fantastic. I'm running down this hill. And of course, what I should be thinking is what? Oh, no. A long downhill means somewhere there's going to be a long uphill. Well, I run down the downhill, I, I get down to the bridge over the river, I turn the corner, and there before me is Mount Everest. <laughs> I did not know that Minnesota had mountain ranges, but apparently they found them for this course. It would have made more sense for me to have ropes and a climbing pick 
to get up this thing than, than running shoes. It was, it was just this amazing hill, and I come around the corner, and oh, okay, here we go. So I start running it, I start running, I start running it, make it to the top of that. And, and the, the, this course that they found had this incredible geographic uh, anomaly. You go up big hills, and then it, there's a slight descent, and then you go up another big hill, and then a slight descent, and then another big hill. And it was just something like that over and over and over again. So I'm trying to get through this thing running, and I'm watching my pace. It's just devastated now. There's no way I'm meeting any of my goals at this point. I'm running along, probably about mile nine. I, I get into a pace with a guy. You just kind of find people that you're running about the same pace, and we're running along, and I, and I just say to him, man, this is a brutal course. And he says, yeah. And I said, have you run it before? And, and he said, yeah. So we just kind of kept running a few more paces, and, and then he says, wait till the last two miles. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding? Why? And he says, oh, it's really uphill. <laughs> I'm like, what has all of this been up till now? This is just the warm-up, I guess. So I get to the last two miles, and I'm determined I'm going to finish this thing. You know, my kids are going to be at the end. I don't want them to see me stretchered across the finish line. I want them to see me running across the finish line. So I, I, I get across the finish line, and I get to the end. And you know what my first thought is? This should not be called the scenic byway marathon, half marathon. This should be called the triple bypass half marathon. They deceived me was what I thought. There was nothing gentle and nothing rolling at all about this course. This was brutal. In fact, afterwards, one of the organizers, I overheard them saying to somebody else that this was the third hardest course in the state. That wasn't on the website. Gentle and rolling was on the website, not third hardest course in the state. I felt deceived into running this course. And I wasn't ready for it. I wonder if you have ever felt deceived in life. I wonder if you've had experiences in life when you've been running a course of life and something happens to you and a deception comes and it throws you off. And for me, you know, it didn't cost me a lot to be deceived. I was sore for a few days. My pride took a bit of a hit, I, I got to tell you. you. You know, they, they have these different age brackets, and you run in an age bracket, and you can win your age bracket. Well, I checked the list at the end. There was one age bracket that I would have won, and that was women aged 70 to 79. <laughs> so it cost me a, a bit of a bruised ego, but it wasn't the end of the world. There are other deceptions in life that hurt way more than sore legs and a bruised ego. There are other deceptions in life that cost us a tremendous amount. Perhaps you've experienced some of these deceptions, maybe a, a business partner, someone that you trusted, someone that, that you thought was going to always speak truth and, and be truthful with you, and yet you find out that this person deceived you. And this deception cost you a tremendous amount. Maybe it cost you financially, maybe it cost you reputation, but someone that you trusted, you found out, was deceiving you. Maybe a marriage. You were in a marriage, and the words of faithfulness that were proclaimed turn out to be lies. 
And there was falsehood, there was deception, and it was part of that relationship. And, and you come to understand and to know it, and, and you feel deceived. These are the kinds of deceptions that run way deeper than sore legs. These are the kinds of deceptions that cause us to lose faith, that cause us to, to lose trust, and people that cause us to struggle with what it is that's going on in our life with the relationships with people around us, these are the things that cost us. Now, of course, the idea of deception is, is not unfamiliar to the story of Scripture. We see stories of deception as we read through the Scriptures. And, of course, we think when we think of deception, we think of Satan, the father of lies, the one whose job it is to blind us and to, to bind us through lies and through deception. And so if you look at the title of the message this morning, The Deceiver, you may think, well, we must be talking about Satan this morning. Well, we're not. This morning, we're going to be talking about God. Have you ever felt deceived by God? Have you ever been at a place in your life where God you feel that God has led you astray? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you were trusting God for something and he doesn't come through? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you feel that you are doing exactly what God asks you to do, that you are being obedient to him and it doesn't turn out the way that you think it ought to turn out? In fact, it turns out with pain and confusion and anger and struggle and wrestling with God. Have you ever been in a place like that in your life? Are you in a place like that as you sit here this morning, wrestling with God, trying to understand what he's doing, but feeling like he has led you astray? Well, if you feel that way or if you have ever felt that way in your life, you are not alone. We're turning this morning to a character in Scripture who wrestles with this feeling that God is deceiving him. And it's not just some minor character in Scripture. It's, it's not some person who kind of a, appears on the page and, 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 and blames God and says, God, that you've been deceiving me and then gets kind of shouted out of the pages of Scripture as quickly as they showed up. No, this morning, we're not talking about a minor character. We're talking about a major character. One of who, the people who is called the, the major prophets, we're talking about Jeremiah. Now, you've heard of Jeremiah, of course, right? Jeremiah was a, not a bullfrog, no. No, that, that was later. That's a different Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet of God, right? Jeremiah was a spokesman for God, someone who had been called by God, taken by him, chosen by him in order to speak God's word of truth, in order to proclaim to the people of Israel God's word to them. Now, Jeremiah doesn't, doesn't want this job. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, when God calls him, he, he doesn't want anything to do with it, but he goes and he's obedient to God, and he goes and he proclaims God's word, and he speaks to the people of Israel, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but for Jeremiah, it's mostly the bad and the ugly. And Jeremiah faithfully preaches, proclaims the word of God. He is faithful 
to what God asks him to do. And what does it get Jeremiah? A great reputation, right? Fame and fortune, the thanks of his people who are so grateful that God sent them this man to correct them and to tell them the error of their ways so that they can repent and and go the right way, right? Wrong. It is not what it gets Jeremiah. What it gets Jeremiah is confusion and despair and hurt and pain and struggle and wrestling with God. And it brings Jeremiah to a place that we're going to look at in Jeremiah chapter 20 where he is accusing God. And I want to dig into Jeremiah chapter 20 verses 7 to 18 together this morning to look into the soul of the prophet, to open up his wrestling before us so that we perhaps can identify with his wrestling as we may very well be in a place like Jeremiah, where we ourselves are wondering what God is doing and perhaps even feeling deceived by God. So let's read together Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 7 and read through verse 10 to begin. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak it anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Now, I get the impression that Jeremiah isn't particularly happy with where his life is going. I get the impression, maybe I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I get the impression that he is not pleased with how his life is turning out, with how the call of God is affecting his life, with what his, his office as a prophet is doing to his life. And Jeremiah unleashes this, this complaint against God, and, and he says, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a a prophet anymore. In verse 9, he talks about the fact that if I could just bottle up God's word, I just want to keep it within me and not speak it because I know whenever I speak, all that it does is it brings me insult and reproach. It makes people to hate me, and I don't like that. So he says, I'm just not going to speak it anymore. And he tries to hold God's word in. And what it says in verse 9 there is, he says, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He can't even not speak the word of God. He's in this place and he feels trapped. I, I have to speak it. Even when I try not to, it forces itself upon me. God forces his word upon me. I feel deceived. 
And that's what he says in verse 7. This is what his complaint is to God as he says to him, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You deceived me, Lord. Now, as I say those words, I wonder what it does to you. As I've been wrestling with this passage, I have to tell you, these words make me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to hear someone say to God, the God who I believe is truth, to say to him, you deceived me. And I, as a theologian, think, well, is that true? Is that theologically correct? And, and then I, I come back to Jeremiah, and I look at him, and I think, that's not the question he's asking here. He will, of course, wrestle with these things, and, and he will proclaim things about God. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, right now, God, I feel deceived by you. You deceived me, and I am deceived. One commentator wrote about these words, the language verges on the blasphemous. And I'm not quite sure that verges is the right word. This feels blasphemous to me. And yet it's God's prophet. And he is proclaiming what is in his soul. He is proclaiming what he is wrestling with in this call that God has put upon him. And in Jeremiah, what we find is a man who feels deceived by God. He feels used by God. He is in pain. He feels confusion, and he is wrestling with God. He's not the only one in Scripture who complains, of course. We, we see this at, at many different points in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms. We see the psalmist proclaiming their uh, discouragement with God, their complaint against God. In Jeremiah, there's a, another book that he wrote, the next book over in Scripture called Lamentations, where it's a lament of Jeremiah, where he is complaining about what has happened to, to God's people, but, but also about things that God has done. And, and so we see this in the Scripture. But I think there's something unique about Jeremiah 20. There is a window into the heart of a prophet of God here that we need to pay attention to. And as I said earlier, yes, to learn about Jeremiah's experience of this, but more so than that, to learn about our experience of this. Because perhaps you are in a place where you feel deceived by God, but you're not sure if you can say it. You're not sure if you can speak that, because that verges on the blasphemous. And perhaps there are things going on in your soul that when you read these words from Jeremiah, they may make us a little bit uncomfortable, but maybe there's something that Jeremiah is saying and it's echoing. It's echoing in your soul. Words that strike home where you are in a place where you're struggling. You are in a place where you're wrestling. You are in a place where you feel deceived by God. So we need to pay attention to this passage, to not try to push it to the side as something that, that may make us feel uncomfortable, these words, but to let these words do their work in our soul. 
Do Jeremiah's words echo the thoughts of your own soul? We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes, but what I want to do now is keep on moving with Jeremiah through Jeremiah chapter 20. And what we find next as we pick it back up at verse 11 is there's a shift. There's a shift here. We've heard Jeremiah's initial complaint. The complaint that he has been deceived by God, that that his calling has caused him nothing but trouble. And then we get here now to verse 11, and, and it shifts. It shifts from complaint to praise. Let me read verses 11 uh, through 13. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And so we see this pattern. And it's a pattern that we see, again, back in the Psalms. Where you have a a psalm of lament or a psalm of complaint. Oftentimes what happens is when, when you read those psalms, at the end, the psalmist will say something like this. And yet, I will praise you. And the psalmist affirms God. And we see Jeremiah do that here as well. He offers his complaint, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. And yet then he goes on to say, sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. And this is a pattern that that was pointed out to me when I was in in college. Uh, I I was in a relationship with a, a young lady, and I was quite smitten with her. And I thought, this might be the one. She didn't agree uh, with that. She thought, no, you're not the one. There's got to be someone else who's the one um, for her. And she broke up with me, and and it caused a great deal of, of pain. This person that I cared deeply about. And I remember my dad wrote me a letter. And he wrote me a letter, and he pointed to a number of psalms. And he said, read these psalms and notice the pattern. There's the pattern of complaint followed by praise. And he said, you need to do that. You need to say what you need to say to God. You need to complain. You need to say what's in your soul, but then praise him. And I love that pattern. That is a pattern that has served me well. So this is what we get with Jeremiah. Complaint, followed by praise, and everything wraps up in a nice, neat little bow, right? No, we're not done with Jeremiah chapter 20 yet. There is more to come. And if you think you've heard complaint in the earlier part, buckle up. Chapter 20, verses 14 to 18. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. He's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. 
May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? There is no pretty bow of praise on Jeremiah chapter 20. What Jeremiah does is he complains, then he praises, then he just starts cursing pretty much everybody he can think of, from what I could tell. Cursed be the day I was born. I mean, the poor guy that delivered him. I mean, that guy's getting cursed left and right, right? I mean, he just, he did what you're supposed to do. He delivered the baby, and then he went to the father and said, you have a son, which of course in the Jewish world is this tremendous thing to, to get a son. And now Jeremiah is looking at this and saying, curse that guy forever delivering me. Cursed the day that I was born. Why didn't he kill me? Why was I ever born to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days with shame? There's no nice little bow of praise on Jeremiah chapter 20. I really like the pattern, complaint, praise, period. That's not Jeremiah's pattern. Complaint, comma, praise, comma, complaint. And you know, as I've been growing in, in my life with, Lord, with the Lord and struggling myself with Him and being involved in the lives of others who are struggling with Him, as important as I think the pattern complaint, praise, period, is, I'm coming to find out that's not often how life works. What I'm coming to find out is that the complaint isn't often followed by praise and then that's it. That the complaint oftentimes keeps going. And what I learned from Jeremiah chapter 20, what I learned from this pattern is that the praise doesn't end the complaint. The praise doesn't fix the confusion for Jeremiah. He praises God, yes, but he praises God in the midst of the complaint, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the wrestling. He doesn't wait until the end when everything's figured out. He praises God while he's complaining. These things don't conflict with one another. We can do both of these things as we wrestle with God and as we try to figure out what it is that God is doing in our lives what it is that God is, is doing as he walks us down paths where we feel, why have you brought me here? You've deceived me. This isn't how it was supposed to go. And what we learn from Jeremiah here is we don't wait until everything has concluded in order to praise God. We praise God in the midst of the complaint. There's no nice little bow of praise here. There is praise. Sing to the Lord in the midst of complaint. Over the last six or so months of my life, I've been in a place of confusion with God. I've been in a place of, of, of trying to sort out what, he is, what his will is for my life, how he's leading me. And, and there have been times of significant complaint in the midst of that. And, and as I've been going through Jeremiah and, and, and sinking deeply into Jeremiah chapter 20 in these months, this pattern has emerged for me as, as important as the pattern of the Psalms 
are, is, I think, also what we see here is another pattern that we can learn from in our life with God. And, and so I just want to conclude our time this morning asking what Jeremiah has to teach us about traversing the difficult paths in life, the paths that we may be called to walk that we don't want to walk, and where we want to complain about those paths. What is it that Jeremiah can teach us? Well, there's three things in your notes at the bottom there as we look at how to uh, think through this in our own life with God. The first one is pretty simple. Complain. Right? Complain. Say what needs to be said to God. Tell God what is on your heart. The second thing, then, is don't apologize for it. I don't see Jeremiah in here anywhere saying, God, I just said these things, but I'm really sorry that I said these things. I know I shouldn't have said these things. These aren't the kinds of things I, I should be saying. He says what's in his heart. He says what's in his soul, and he doesn't apologize for it. He lays it out there before the Lord. So complain. Say what needs to be said as you are wrestling with God. Don't apologize for it. But then the third thing is praise in the midst of your complaint. Praise in the midst of your complaint. Complaint and praise are not dichotomous. They can come together. And we see Jeremiah doing this very thing, complaining before the Lord, speaking honestly about what is in his heart, praising the Lord and complaining again. We can't expect a pretty little bow to wrap up our wrestling experiences with God. But we are called in the midst of our wrestling to praise him, to praise him in the middle. This keeps us tethered to the one who is truth, whether we understand that or not, whether we get what he's doing with us or not, whether we feel deceived by him, we know this is the one who is the truth. And so while I am complaining, I also need to be affirming, God, you are the one who is true. And I cling to that. I hold tightly to that, even in the midst of complaint. Because our God is an awesome God. Our God is a God of truth. Our God is a God who leads us, yes, through difficult paths, but he is leading us to quiet waters. He is leading us to places where we can lie down and have rest for our souls. And we know that ultimately, though we wrestle with the confusion of this life and the struggle of this life, we know that he is leading us because of Jesus Christ to eternal life, to that place where there will only be praise, where there will no longer be any complaint, but where we will see God and where we will, where we will worship him in spirit and in truth for all of eternity. And so we trust him we cling to him, so we praise him, even in the midst of complaint. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are the one true God. You are the one Lord of the universe. God, we struggle at times in life. We wrestle. We wrestle with you. We wrestle with wondering what you're doing. We wrestle with feeling like Jeremiah feels. We, 
we wrestle with feeling deceived. And yet, God, we also agree with Jeremiah that it is right to sing to the Lord and to give praise to you. Help us, God, to struggle well and to praise you, the one who gives us hope in the midst. In Jesus' name, amen.